exposing yourself to discomfort builds resilience. And I think it's how we're, how we're meant to be. I mean, throughout most of human history, we've been living in, you know, having to fend in for ourselves in pretty harsh environments. And, you know, whether it's like being in a hunter gatherer tribe or, I mean, it's, um, we're meant to be dealing with, with dangerous things. We're meant to be exposing ourselves to discomfort and to risk and to challenging ourselves physically. On today's show, I am joined by IFMGA mountain guide, Tom Grant. Tom specializes in steep skiing. He's a climber and alpinist, and he's um, done a whole bunch of cool shit, basically. He's skied tons of steep lines around Chamonix Mont Blanc, where he currently lives. He's uh, sometimes skied Denali. He's got technical first ascents in Baffin Island, BC, Norway, Alaska, New Zealand. And he's also part of the team who skied the 2,000-meter Caroline face on Mount Cook, which is uh, one of the world's largest previously unskied lines. He was my mountain guide earlier this year, and I instantly got the kind of impression of his mindset being very calm, very focused and very purposeful. So I wanted him to come on the show and kind of explore where that comes from and how you can apply it to your training, your life and your business too, because um, the lessons and the principles you talk about here really easily do extrapolate out to other areas of life. We discuss his recent injury, um, which is what you'll hear about in the first few minutes. It's pretty intense. And the right amount of discomfort and uncertainty and how to tolerate that and balance them with the opposites too to create the optimal way of living. Coming back from this massive injury like I just mentioned and then create a structure and predictability and how to thrive in uncertain environments and also first principle-based thinking. It's a great show. I loved it. Um, it's a great show, even if I do say so myself. I loved recording it, and I hope you enjoy it too. Um, so, dude, um, in the weirdest way ever, welcome to the show, because we've already been having a conversation for five minutes, so <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. Um, so, let's, I think I'll start out with the thing that is um, the newest since we actually saw each other in person. Talk to me about the injury, and talk to me about like how that happened. So, um, had a pretty bad paragliding crash back three months ago. Uh, it's coming up to three months and yeah, I started paragliding a year before. So relative beginner It had about 50 flights under my belt. So it's just very new to it and, um, made misjudge some conditions on the landing and yeah, made, made a few mistakes about probably shouldn't have, uh, taken off in those conditions, but we had to change the plan. Um, things were getting a bit later in the day, so the, the wind on the landing had picked up and um, ended up crashing to some in a dry riverbed into some rocks, probably like 50 kilometers an hour, and smashed one side of my body pretty hard. Um, I had skis on because I took off from the midi with skis high, higher up in the mountains. But I immediately uh, on impact, I broke a bunch of things. I broke my arm pretty bad. It was an open uh, fracture of the elbow. The elbow smashed up pretty good. I had dislocated wrist where one of the bones had been popped out as well. And then um, my shoulder was took a big impact. Um, I didn't didn't know the damage at the time to it. Uh, I broke six ribs, my scapula, my lung was um, damaged and filled with a bunch of fluid. So yeah, then I was, was airlifted to the hospital. Yeah, I um. I knew it was a big, a big injury, but I didn't know it was, um, it was that intense. <laughs> yep. Wasn't ideal. Yeah. But, uh, I'm on, I'm on the mend now. That sounds pretty intense, dude. Um, what were you, uh, well, I suppose upon impact, you're probably thinking something like, oh fuck. Um, but what do you think like in the minutes after that? Uh, well, I was pretty worried about my arm. I knew there was going to be some, um, that it was, it was pretty fucked up and I was worried about, you know, I knew it, what it meant for my guiding season for all the, you know, climbing wanted to do over the summer and for, well, the rest of the, I still had three weeks where I wanted to ski some, um, cool lines for myself and had some little projects I wanted to do. So yeah, I was kind of, I was immediately pretty upset that I knew I was going to be injured for a little while that I didn't know the exact extent of damage, but I was quite worried about it. And then I was in a shitload of pain as well. Yeah, I bet. Um, it's, it's, it's so tough because it's obviously not only your pastime, it'd be very different if like, if I was being guided for, by you, for example, and I fucked up my ACL or, or had like a similar crash, like, or similar experience. And then it was like, okay, I can still 
survive and do my job and care for my clients but like when your whole livelihood's on the line too that must be um a pretty intense uh discussion in your own mind yeah <clears throat> yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah how sure gone sorry I, I interrupt you there Oh, that's right. I was going to say, yeah, you know, I, I, um, I made the mistake of, of taking off when I was a bit stressed about other things going on. And, um, you know, normally I'm very calculated with all the skiing and climbing I do, but um, paragliding is also, I was a bit out of my depth with, I think, with, with the flight um, and dealing with those conditions. And also, yeah, there was some other things that were, that were causing me some stress at the time. So it was just a mm-hmm. classic, you know, mistake that I could have avoided of, of not um, doing something that, that was risky. Uh, when I wasn't yeah. in completely the right mental state, which, which again is, you know, when I've, I've got so much climbing and skiing experience in the mountains, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's different, different matter, but paragliding is, it's also pretty unforgiving when you're in the air and you can't really put, put pause in it. You can't, um, a lot of mountain sports like, uh, like alpinism climbing, you know, you can, you're attached to something, you can, you can pause it, think about what you, what your next move is, but mm-hmm. with the flying, uh, there isn't that option. Yeah. What have you learned from it? I know it's still kind of early days and like you said, you're four weeks out after surgery, but like, is there anything you're like, that is something that I'm going to continue to apply to the rest of my life. And whether it is like, whether it's guiding or whether it's alpinism or what, like whatever it is, like, is there anything you're going to extract from that and use it as a, as a principle? Yeah. Just making sure that, um, again, that when, I'm, you know, doing something that is a bit at my limit where there's a lot of risk involved that I'm in completely the right headspace. And if I'm not happy with that, just, um, you know, even if it means the, the day is going to be, feel, I feel like the day would be wasted or whatever, that's not um, important at all in the grand scheme of things, just to, just to not, you know, just to, just to postpone whatever I'm doing or, or pack up and, and go home for the day, maybe rather than um you know push something when i wasn't when i wasn't completely in the right headspace which is it's like like any accident is a combination of things where you know maybe i was unlucky with the conditions but i i made some mistakes that could have been avoided as well yeah and obviously that's so easy to say from the safety of your apartment or wherever you are right now yeah um and then like that that feeling where it's like you get the stoke running through your veins and you're like oh man this could be this could be a great day or or even i just need to clear my head and get out of this and do something i actually enjoy like that's that's when it gets tough right yes and it's a fine line between if you're you know if if you do need to clear your head and do something you enjoy you know between doing something that um just have to really dial in where the where the risk factor is and then be very just Mm. very consciously aware of, of how much risk you're taking versus you know how you're you're feeling how your mental state is at the moment yeah yeah i got you so one of the things that well the way that we met was um introduction to actually previous guests in the podcast simon jeffries and then we um i was lucky enough to be guided by you um so only last winter yeah um and like one of the things that i immediately noticed was your calm and your decision making and obviously that comes from like familiarity in the mountains and spending time there and your competence there it's like it allows you to see things more clearly but i also noticed you're very good at um at encouraging people both simon and i to make our like make logical decisions or be conscious about the decision making as well how do you so there's there's an element of like i'm guessing that you're thinking about like okay i want, want these people i'm around to to make good decisions too how are you thinking about that when you're with clients or is it a purely like unconscious thing? Well, it's, it's different. Um, so obviously when, when I'm with clients, um, I love pushing people and faci- facilitating people that I'm guiding to be pushed and to push themselves. And, um, you know, maybe that's where I differ from some other guides who that's not as a big part of, of what they want to do. But I, I love, like, I really, when I really click with people that I'm guiding in the mountains with is when they also want to push themselves uh, too, a bit physically and mentally. And, um, and it's, it's really, it depends on people's experience, but I love to include people in, in the decision-making process or try to, try to, you know, it also helps with their understanding and awareness of what's going on. Uh, but by the same time, you know, token uh, as a guide, it's like, I've got the ultimate responsibility in everything. And it, as a every decision, every matter of safety um, comes, comes down to me. So, so I've got to, you know, it's, I'm not delegating out decision making to, to people I'm guiding, but also I want to in, include them and just discuss um, discuss those things with, which, with them, which I think is, is a cool thing to do. Are there times where you've really had to like 
um, to help people make the right decision when you're when you're guiding them because they want to make the wrong decision either from that like that thirst for the power turn or from that kind of um from the ego side of things there are times like obviously you don't have to name names but there are like stories (laughs) are there any um experiences where you've been like okay this is this is the time i've really had to like um walk someone back from from the edge of a cliff yeah so i i think it's it's also um yeah these things it's not often black and white and you know, do people I'm guiding have different risk tolerances as well? And you have to respect where people are coming from or, or maybe, you know, have gauge how much risk they want to expose themselves um, to as well. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's the, the, the number one job of, of guiding people now is, is to ensure their safety. So I think that in terms of, you know, what could go wrong, there's you've got to work out whether someone's just going to give themselves a fright or a minor injury or whether it's going to be something more catastrophic if it goes wrong. And, you know, you might be able to accept um, something something minorly going wrong, but also, you know, if there's a major injury or fatality, a fatal accident, then that obviously can't can't be acceptable. So, like, for example, I had a uh, two clients who I was guiding for some steep skiing, and um, it was a girl and a guy, and, and the girl was, was um, although I, I'd spoken to the guy about about their experience and ability, and he said that they were um, quite, quite similar and they could ski the same things, they were quite well evenly matched, it soon became clear that, that she was a much better skier than him. And, um, and he felt, I think, a bit of pressure to keep up with her. Yeah. So that the first um, thing we went to ski was a little bit, um, it wasn't exactly your typical warm up. It was a little, you know, it was a little punchy for the first day, but I knew that that's, you know, the conditions had lined up well for it. And, um, and she was completely confident. And uh, in fact, in, I could tell that he wasn't that confident. So I said to him many times, I was like, look, there's no pressure to ski here. I can keep you on the rope. I can be lay you down. We'll, we'll just, we'll just go steady together. I'll keep you on the, like, um, and I said, you know, I kind of drilled into him that the, the main thing about steep skiing on a more serious terrain is that when you make a turn, you're completely confident. You can execute that turn. You're not going to fall. Um, and I, I could see what was going on. So I really like gave a, gave a extra, extra specific, uh, detailed, um, talk to him beforehand. And I was like, look, there's no pressure. We're going to keep the rope on for a little bit. He's like, no, 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 I can do it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. First turn, he just blows the first turn immediately. After she skied down a few turns just perfectly nicely, he blows the first turn. It was, it was a terrible turn. Everything was wrong about it. Everything technically was wrong. And he just eats shit, starts tomahawk down the face. And now it's, it was a pretty, it wasn't the best place to start tomahawking, but I, I knew that ultimately he wasn't going to kill himself. He wasn't going to go to the bottom of the face. In fact, he stopped midway down the face and was completely unhurt, which is what I knew was going to happen. Um, unfortunately, his ski was further down. So um, I uh, so I said, well, look, okay, now uh, also moving without skis on steep snow is also part of steep skiing and alpinism. So here's some good, you know, this is an opportunity for down climbing practice. And so he was really, really shaken up, really humiliated and down climbing his skis. Now, I often get asked if this sort of thing happens on a regular basis and this and I think seven, eight years of guiding, that is the first time I've had that happen um, where someone has completely oversold themselves to the point where they couldn't handle, you know, the, the first turn was a complete disaster. And then he was actually um, pretty, it just completely blew his confidence for the, for the next um, few days, which was a bit of it was, was a shame. But really, that sort of situation is quite unusual. Most people um, are happy to have a little bit of extra safety and support if they, if they yeah. feel they need it. But that's where... You know, let's where I, I do like to take people into environments where it's out of their comfort zone, but at the same time, you know, I have to step in to make sure it's not going to be, if, if something goes wrong, it's, it's not going to be, be bad. It's just going to give, you know, a bit of a fright versus a serious injury is a big difference. Yeah. Speaking from personal experience working with you, um, you do a brilliant job of that. Um, <laughs> think about the stories, like <laughs> the, the things that come out of that is like guys around girls is such a, such like the ego of that and yeah. trying not to um when you when you're trying to play the status game and also the the hilarious idea of just like you're going to summon this incredible skiing ability that you don't yeah, previously yeah. possess um, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah yeah just just wishful thinking is going to be purely enough to get me down this and i'm just going to find this technique um are there like first principles of decision making that you go through do you have any like okay i'm i'm standing at top of a couloir or i'm i'm doing something or um in climbing or whatever it is do you have like processes and protocols you're thinking okay this is this is stage one this is stage two like how do you think about 
keeping people safe and maximizing their experience too. Cause like I was speaking about this with Nicola Sherman the other day and it's like, part of what we want is that thrill is that adventure is the flirtation with danger and obviously that that people want to be like you're saying pushed to their limits and so like how do you have like a process about balancing those two or any kind of logical questions you ask yourself yeah i mean it's it's tricky it's interesting it's not always black and white um but uh that's where experience comes in and making those judgments um i mean the first thing is When I'm guiding, you know, you, usually during a busy period, it, it's, you know, I'm in the mountains a lot and I'm fairly in tune with the conditions. Or if I'm not, or it's a new area, I'll try to get as much information as possible from um, from any, you know, local resources, people I know there, or, you know, looking at all the forecasts and, and trying to understand what's going on. But so the first thing is, you know, when you're sat in your own home, having an idea of what's going on, but there's no substitute for actually being on the mountain. As soon as you're taking a lift up, you're skinning up, you're having to look around just taking as much information as possible and then applying that to, you know, what sort of terrain you're going to ski and the terrain you're going to ski is dictated by a lot of different factors from um, the avalanche conditions to the ability of the group. And so what, one of the biggest, biggest principles I think is um, again, snow can be really tricky. You can be the most experienced person in the world at trying to read and understand avalanche conditions and people are not infallible experts in avalanche uh, and avalanches are not infallible. So it's where there's an, there's an inherent amount of unpredictability in snow. Of course, with experience, you can make better and better decisions, but you have to recognize that, that, that you, you are fallible. And then the, the, the critical thing comes into, well, okay, make decisions about where to ski in, in terrain. You can manage if something does go wrong. And if you're skiing, um, you know, the more extreme side of things, which is un- unusual when I'm guiding, but more um, when I'm skiing with, with skiing steeper lines on my own is where, okay, if something goes wrong, if there is an avalanche here, it's probably going to be fatal because the terrain is so steep and serious. And then if you're skiing that terrain, you have to be there. Obviously, you need a, a very high degree of confidence that it's, this, you know, that it's going to be safe to do it because you're, you're gambling your life there. So it's completely different if you're not sure about the snow you can still drop into a cool line, but you have to be aware of that. Okay. If this goes wrong, am I just going to get a fright? Am I going to get, you know, maybe am I going to risk a minor injury or is it going to be certain death? And then you have to judge those things of the, of the consequences versus, you know, maybe a, a small scare to certain death. And there's obviously a spectrum to play with. And then you have to um, judge, you know, what you're doing according to how confident you feel in, 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 in those respects. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you must be weighing the upside as well. And like, what's the, I suppose my question is like, what is the upside to you when you're standing on a line like that, where there is that risk? Well, I guess it also, it depends how much you want it. And there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, if, if you decide, well, yeah, this, this, this doing this is so important to me that I'm willing to take this, this risk. That's a, that's a personal decision. But so long as, you know, that's, it's, it's obviously different guiding and then risking something yourself, but um, it's a different decision-making process, but there's no, there's no right or wrong risk analysis. Um, if you're doing something for yourself or if you're with friends who have the same sort of risk profile as you. Um, but what you have to be careful of is group dynamics can be really tricky. Whereas um, if some people have a different acceptance of risk than others in the group um, and, or feel pressure to do something that other people want to do, that can be really tricky to manage. Um, but, you know, if, if you, yeah, I mean, every, like everybody has a different amount of risks they're accepting to take. And mm-hmm. some people are accepting to take a lot and some people aren't. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. Yeah. How do you, like, I, I imagine when there's team dynamics and that I've been kind of lucky enough to do a, a fair amount of backcountry stuff with a, a fair amount of people. And there's always been like, most of the people most of the time been a similar ish amount of kind of how had a similar amount of risk tolerance to me ish like obviously there's variation within that but like usually similar age guys with similar kind of um kind of (laughs) like risk tolerances and and kind of status games being played and hopefully very few status games but like when you've got that dynamic um, or kind of variation between team members or group members? Like, how do you negotiate that? Mm, yeah, good question. I guess it depends on... Um, 
depends on what you're doing. I mean, if you're doing something that really is, is a serious objective and you're really pushing yourself, I, ideally you all got to be on the same page. Um, or if you're not, you know, just dial down the seriousness of, of what you're doing. Mm. If there's going to be a, a problem with that. Um, when, you know, guiding it's just about managing people's expectations, pushing them, but keeping them safe. Um, trying to, I, trying to make people, I like to make people feel good about themselves too and not try to tear people down, you know, to like mm. the point of, 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 it should be to try to, okay, maybe, maybe someone sometimes needs a bit of an ego check to see where they are and if, just to be a bit realistic with them. But then again, it's like everybody, I don't know, going on the mountains and, and when I guide people, I can't, I, I hope that usually at the end of the day, they feel good about themselves. I don't want to just tear, mm -hmm. tear them down either and scare them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Definitely. No, I get where you come from. You do a fantastic job of that as well. Um, oh, and it's like, yeah, I, I finish every day thinking like, yeah, I'm going to go out and shred some more and, and like, but also exhausted too. That's what, that's what you want, right? And um, I wanted to come back to the, um, I want to come back to the injury in your process out. Is that the most serious injury you've had? Yes, it is. Yeah. I tore okay. my ACL skiing as well, but this was more like uh, intense trauma, whereas I was in hospital for, yeah. for, um, yeah, for I was hospital for eleven days in the end, and yeah, yeah, wow. this is the most serious. Yeah, how are you anticipating that's going to affect your mentality getting back into the mountains? Well, it's yeah, it's been a humbling experience in some ways, but I hope I will come back stronger and more, um, you know, smarter in terms of how I prepare and train as well, because I always have a lot of now I've got a lot of time to think to train um to you know reflect on on how i could improve the way i operate so yeah sometimes it's just about it's 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 different because i have to think of a different for me it's a bit of a different process as well for maybe someone who spends less time in the mountains because i'm spending so much time in the mountains i need to be sure that you know if you're if you're spending 10 days a year versus 200 days a year in the mountains i've got to be pretty careful about the risk I'm exposing myself to because it, it's just a numbers game over time. If I make slightly you know, more conservative decisions or slightly more aggressive decisions, that can multiply over a thousand days to have different, you know, quite different outcomes. Um, whereas, you know, you can, you, sure, you, you know, you can push it sometimes, but, but some shit can just randomly go wrong sometimes. So it's about giving yourself, um, you know, stacking the odds a bit in your favor. And I think I've learned that as I've gotten older, mostly to, you don't need to be pushing it all the time, uh, but choose just be be tactful about uh, be, have good tactics about when the right time is to, is to push it, and then also just about how to train harder and smarter. And um, you know, I'm going to have to do that now to make sure I come back strong from this because I've got to rebuild my arm and I want to come back climbing um, stronger than before. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon you'll fly again? Uh, yeah, I haven't really made it. A, a decision one way or the other on that may I, I will but i don't know if i'm gonna um i'm more focused on my on climbing and skiing and that takes a lot of time so i've got to be realistic about the time i can dedicate to flying to make it as safe as possible as well um mm -hmm. so yeah i haven't i haven't really decided for sure one way or another yeah yeah, I get you. It's um, if it's not the foundation of what you're doing, but kind of like an enjoyable accessory, then it's probably probably a little bit different emphasis. Yeah, and I've wanted to use it as a tool for um, for climbing and skiing as well, which it can be a really useful tool. But at the same time, you know, it's got to be realistic about extra risk I'm exposing myself to. And yeah, got you, got you. Like you said, it, it catches up even if you're making good decisions most of the time. Exactly. Yep, and. I've, I've spent, you know, 15 years climbing skiing a lot. So realistically, like I have, you know, that experience to draw upon, even if I'm doing, um, operating in a dangerous environment, whereas air, air is like, air is a really complex environment. It's just like snow. It takes a long time to understand. And I don't have, it's going to take a while, you know, to build up that same base of knowledge. Um, just got to put a lot of time in as well. Yeah, I bet. And there's only so much uh there's so, so much focus and so much investigation and so much skill development that you can do in a in a like in a lifetime exactly yeah 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 so talking about <laughs> lifetime with the worst segue ever um talking about the 
the foundation of your your skiing experience because like you had was the first time you went skiing when you were 13 yeah yeah okay so how does that come around then how do you like where did you grow up and then how does that link um link to you getting uh to living in sham so originally i was born in virginia in the u.s and i didn't ski there but then i moved when i was 11 to my family to to the southeast of england near brighton and first went on a school ski trip when i was 13 thought it was great just loved it right away um and remember we did some races at the end of the week and even though other kids had skied a bunch before i managed to win win a race against everybody which i thought was cool and then i just skied as much as i could as a teenager and at university and as soon as i left university i went and did uh, my first season in the alps in team um and just wanted to just just fascinated by the mountains and by even then even those early days by steep skiing and i got myself some touring skis when nobody else had some and just went, went on little adventures myself nice were they sticks back then super narrow with, with no, no wisdom. This wasn't, wasn't that long i'm talking 2008 <laughs> okay it's not that long ago then <laughs> i actually had one of the the first pairs of black crows when they were producing some ultra marker frame touring bindings but but it was like nobody nice. I mean, all the seasonaires I was with, they just wanted to get pissed all the time. It was more like, yeah. you know, day day drinking than going. I was the only one who was going hiking up Kuwas. And, and I um, I got, I uh, my granny, actually, who was a bit worried about me, bought me an ABS backpack to help supposedly keep me safe, one of the early ABS ones. So I was, I was kind of known as that, all oh, that, that weird guy who went like ski, steep lines on his own with his ABS bag. Nice. So, had you always been? Uh, you must have been a one of the first people to have an ABS bag at any like at that time, and um, and B like were you that that takes a constant or a, an ability to like stand out from the crowd and to be a little bit different to everyone else because like it would have been easy to fit in and just go okay yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go get hammered with everyone else I'm gonna drink Genepi all day long and like and that's gonna be the jam like what made have you always been like willing to I don't know stand out a little bit yeah I think I think so and I was always um maybe had that individualistic side because actually I grew up mostly playing football until about age 20 football is my main sport along with um cross country and track and I think I realized that actually, although I love football and I, I still do love it, um, I don't know. I just was more of an individual than than a than a natural team player, always wanting to fit in, and just sort of the the forced drinking culture at university just ended up. I just got a bit bored of it, or just didn't really mm-hmm. wasn't that motivated by. It. And then I started climbing more, and climbing was just you know about about not your team's performance, but about you know what you could do, and and just there was no you know rules in in that way or. So I think actually, and, and even even when I was playing football a lot, I was always, I was, I'd be more upset if, if I played badly but in a team one versus if I played well and the team lost. So maybe that wasn't the right sport for me. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess I was always, yeah, I, I don't know. I just wanted to go on adventures and, and push myself. Um, yeah. That sense of adventure seems to be key with everyone I'm speaking to on the podcast. And my, my, the, the kind of the doing the exploration aspect the the doing yeah. something new and novel like has that always been in you yeah yeah for sure i think that's always really fascinated me definitely um and the mountains are such a great place for to facilitate that adventure mm. um, yeah absolutely absolutely so well, you go from yeah. you, sorry i interrupted you then dude oh that's right I, I, like um and just you know being in i think that's with mountain sports, you're in such um, a complex and rich environment that, that getting into that flow state as well as, as a, you know, is, it, I think it's a great place to, to that, that facilitates that because it's such a, you know, compared to everyday life, it's such an intense, um, high consequence and complicated environment. I think it's such a cool place to, to just like to have such a rich experience in. Mm, absolutely. So that's obviously like, thrilling and engaging that that process i'm guessing when you're in teen and when you are like kind of finding your way into the, the steep skiing way of life there's this conversation of like do i go and make my whole life about this or do i um get a do the real job thing and the real life and and go down like the conventional route and then try and get out to this as much as possible what made you choose the first option where you kind of you made your whole life about it 
Yeah. Um, so it didn't, it didn't happen right away. It wasn't conscious decisions right away. At the time when I was in teen, I figured that was going to be a season. And then I'd look at career options afterwards. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I was looking at careers in, um, in uh, international development. So I did a geography degree. I, I spent some time doing some projects and some volunteer work in Africa or joining the military, or I actually applied to MI5 and MI6 to be a spy. And, and um, that was about, so those were, <laughs> I wanted a job that was adventurous, basically. But You're just in very deep time. cover now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I realized that um, to get a cool job in one of those fields, it was going to require you know a lot of, um, a, a lot of dedication and passion and actually i was just more much more passionate about climbing and skiing um which i was spent most of my time doing at the time so i think those were those passions were bigger than anything else so it's just natural that after the the winter season in teen I, I spent the summer climbing in around chamonix and just met different people had had adventures with people i'd only just met and climbed a bunch of big routes um, and it was cool just to really get stuck into it and have some ethics and have things go, go wrong and then have things, you know, get to the top of some cool mountains. Um, then I realized I should live in Chamonix. That it was, it was just where, where it had to be. And then pretty soon after that, some people, I was, people like motivated climbers, I was climbing, started talking about that they wanted to do the guide scheme and become a guide. So I thought, oh, well, what's, you know, what's this about becoming a guide and how could I make a living from it? Just a quick favor to ask, my friends, if you could head to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a very kind review, that will not only help my ego virtually explode, but it will help people just like you find the podcast too and hopefully help them to their next level. That's um, what what that offers is not a clear career path, though. If you think about, I don't know, military, like that's a perfect example of what you're talking about there. It's like you have the clear ranks and you have clear criteria to meet to progress through the ranks as well as a bit of politics, but you have like objectives to meet. Whereas in the guiding world, it's, I'm going to guess there's not, I'm sure there's qualification, well, there are qualifications and there's that to you, but it seems a bit more kind of um, nebulous, a bit more find your own way. Yeah, exactly. And that's got its pros. Definitely, it can be harder to have a lack of structure, but it also, it's pretty open-ended, so you can kind of do what you want. So I, at first I was thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be very interesting. Maybe I'll just, I, you know, I don't want to just ski easy stuff with bad skiers all the time or go walk up the same boring mountains. Then I realized, actually, it's kind of whatever you want to make of it. And if you're not, I think with guiding, you know, if you're not um, enjoying it, or you're not finding it challenging, then it's just due to a lack of imagination or lack of drive to like there's so many things you can do with it um, and so many cool opportunities if you can go after them. Um, but I actually, well, I think in terms of starting the guide program and go, progressing through the guide program, it actually did give me a sense of structure and a sense of very specific things to work towards, which was great at the time. Um, and I did really enjoy that whole process because it was, first of all, okay, to get accepted onto the program, you have to be climbing at this level you have to do these these things ski you know do these ski tours climb a certain number of mountains or climb a certain number of routes of this grade rock climbs ice climbs climbs in scotland in winter and that gives gave me like actually kind of a, a focus on a structure but and then progressing through the program as well and then it's afterwards really where you kind of you're on your own it's like okay what do i want to do with this now this is my job but how do i what sort of avenues do i go down with it and what sort of work do i want that's when it's a bit more open-ended Mm. And then, how do you pro- provide that structure for yourself? I'm guessing it's an ongoing challenge. Like speaking yeah. to speaking to someone who's already is also kind of self-employed, running my own business, and like yeah. you have to create that structure. Like, how do exactly. you how do you do that for yourself? Um, I guess it's just constantly wanting. You know, we all we all want to feel uh, have a feeling of progression, whatever we're doing. Just you know, in, in different aspects of life, I think it's it's important to feel like you're progressing. So. Um, whether it's, you know, making sure that I'm challenging myself the right amount, but at the same time, not burning out. So, um, I want to, whether it's, you know, I want to, what, what motivates me is to go to really interesting places that I've not been before. Um, and also just feel like I'm, I'm constantly progressing at what I'm doing. So it's about, you know, balancing, maybe working with say, I've got a lot of really good skiers I guide who really want to ski, um, you know, pretty exciting lines and have one-to-one coaching, which, which I love 
Um, but if I did that every single day as well, I probably, I, it would just be a bit too tiring. Um, and the same with, you know, going to a new place where I have to research, I have to do the background, on it, I have to make sure that I've done my homework as opposed to guiding somewhere that I know the back, like the back of my hand, it's, it's a different process, which, and I think it's important to incorporate both because, um, if too much of one, it's going to be boring too much of the other, I'm going to burn myself out. So it's just, you know, thinking about, okay, where do I want to go next year? What are, what are these, what are my goals going to be? I need to, what, um, how am I going to progress in my skills and my experiences and like, like, you know, what could be a cool place to guide where I'm going to learn new things and challenge myself. Nice. Nice. It's a very nice um, balance of the known and the unknown by the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're kind of, you're staying within that predictable realm for 50% of the time, but then dancing into that kind of the, the more threatening side of things. And I suppose that's the thing that draws you to paragliding Um, or it's the thing that draws you towards the riskier lines is that experience of something novel. Exactly. Yeah. That's it for sure. Yeah. Where you find the flow. Um, when you think back to your your vast experiences and like every trip that you've had, like what are the ones that stand out to you? I think the most, you know, one of the most successful trips. Um, I've had two trips to New Zealand where I skied a bunch of first descents, and the the biggest first descent I've skied was the Caroline Face on Mount Cook, where it was one of the world's biggest unskied lines down a really complicated face that is nearly 2,000 meters in vertical and, and um, a pretty well-known objective. So we just, everything, you know, sometimes everything comes together in terms of weather, conditions, the team, the dynamic, that everybody's on the same page and everyone wants to go for it. And all those things have to fall into place. And it, it really worked out that trip that we got so lucky with um, strong team. We're all motivated. The, the conditions lined up. We had, um, you know, we did our homework and, and then we just committed to it and and, and went there and, and did it. Um, but it's hard. It's, you know, at the time you're like, oh, that was really cool. But what's next? And then you're mm. looking back and you're like, oh, that was, you know, that was pretty special. These things don't line up all the time like that. Yeah. How do you deal with that sense of like, there's going to be like, th- these are probably the good days or the good old days right now. Because like I always, there's that pursuit of more whenever I'm mm. in the mountains, I'm like, I want to do bigger, like get like steeper, gnarlier, more dangerous, more, more remote. Like I've been messaging you about this Kyrgyzstan trip and like, Mm. and there's like this constant desire to like do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. But, and this translates really nicely to to business as well for people who are listening from the business side of things. I was like, I want to build bigger, bigger revenue, bigger team, whatever it is for you, more freedom. But there's like, this pursuit of more can also be just like for what, like what's the end goal of this? Mm, this um, exactly. Like how do you, yeah. how do you think about that? Yeah. It's an interesting question. Um, yeah. It's, it's important to, I realize that sometimes um, some of that can be a bit of a dead end that you got to be careful of because I realized if I kept on pushing it and doing more and more and more all the time compared to even, you know, because I was doing, I was skiing a lot of big lines um, that it would just lead to more risk. And, and you know, a lot of the, the best ski mountaineers in the world are unfortunately dead. And, and you got to be realistic about it's kind of like, okay, what's, well, you know, do I want to keep pushing, pushing more and more? And it's, uh, I think, um, you know, probably not in some areas, but it's that sense of just making sure that you're still progressing and, and looking at it holistically, like in, you know, in terms of your judgment and skills and other areas of life. Um, yeah, you know, it's, and, and I realize well, maybe I don't have to keep on skiing bigger gnarlier lines my whole life, but I could go to, you know, areas where I'm having a completely different experience, like that are really culturally different um, or, you know, somewhere super remote or just with a, with a different interesting team or where I'm taking clients to somewhere that's really completely different from where I would normally go. Um, so challenging myself in different ways, but not necessarily exposing myself to more risk, but just being open to different, you know, enriching experiences. Mm. Nice. So it's, it's a different kind of novelty. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, I don't ever want to just get complacent and spend too long in my comfort zone. I mean, and, um, I don't, that wouldn't, you know, I, I want to avoid that, but I want to, I want to keep pushing myself and, and make sure that I am doing stuff outside my comfort zone. But it's also, yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 not it's it's hard to sometimes put your finger on it, isn't it? But I think you kind of know as as an individual where that because that's going to be a different point within everyone. Um, but to feel like it's uh, everybody needs a cha- everybody needs a balance between challenges and and being able to do things a bit on cruise control, I think, or yeah. or between um, certainty and uncertainty. There's got to always be a balance in life. Yeah, um, linked to this is something that you I think is in a Yotner, um promo video that I watched when I was doing a bit of research for this. You were talking about um, life being or modern life being so comfortable in so many ways. We have this like we have our aircon or we have our like a perfect heating. We have Wi-Fi. We have calls like this. We have hospitals that thankfully take care of us and like all these kind of things are very comfortable in a day to day life. But the value of being in the mountains is that you do something difficult. Do you mind like sharing a bit more about that? Yeah, I think actually, well, it's, um, it's really natural to, so yeah, I think we have to make sure like modern life it is too easy to be comfortable and we have to make sure that we are exposing yourself to discomfort. Um, because I think it's only a natural thing to do. And if, if things are constantly too easy or too comfortable, I just don't think it's, it's a recipe for long-term happiness. Um, because exposing yourself to discomfort builds resilience. And I think it's how we're, how we're meant to be. I mean, throughout most of human history, we're been living in, you know, having to fend in for ourselves in pretty harsh environments. And, you know, whether it's like being in a hunter gatherer tribe or, I mean, it's, um, we're meant to be dealing with, with dangerous things. We're meant to be exposing ourselves to discomfort and to risk and to challenging ourselves physically. So I think actually, and it's easy to do that, you know, doing things in the mountains are going to be uncomfortable. You are going to be scared sometimes. You are going to be cold and tired and hungry sometimes. It's just part of part of the game, and it's almost impossible to avoid when you start, um, you know, when you start doing bigger climbing and skiing objectives. So, um, I think it's yeah, it's important to to make sure that that we do have that as part of our lives, and that that builds resiliency. And I think it's just a recipe to be to be happier because it's how we're we're you know programmed um to be to be living not just uh you know when things are too easy i, I just don't think it's, it's a recipe for human happiness do you ever still fall into those traps of like oh i'm a bit too comfortable now um or are you just in such a kind of an environment and a community where discomfort is tolerated and sought out that you're like okay this is quite difficult to <laughs> to fall out of that Sometimes, no, I don't say that, I'd say it's somewhere, it's not either one or extreme, like I wouldn't say that I've never just been like, oh my gosh, my, you know, I haven't had a realization that I'm, everything I'm doing is too comfortable, but I need to, just, there's a fine line between, you know, how much you push yourself or how much you're out of your comfort zone. And I'm always having to remind myself, yeah, oh, sometimes I do need to do this, or I do need to take on something that, or maybe whether it's a guiding job that I'm not completely comfortable in or something different from what I usually do or or skiing or climbing something that's really pushing me or maybe i haven't skied a big line all winter but the, the time is right and i just got to go do it or or climbing something that i'm going to find difficult and scary it does it does take i don't think if you can just do that by being on cruise control you actually it takes like mental energy to be like okay yeah i'm, I'm going to do that i do need to yeah i'm going to i'm going to take that challenge on or and i think you have to constantly remind yourself to just be aware of that so i am I'm, i do think about that a lot and it helps prepare you for moments like this when you're rehabbing and you're going through surgery and the pain and discomfort and the frustration of everything that's involved. Like you got incident, sorry, incidental and intentional hardship and like you can go out and seek it and put it in your own life and um, kind of manipulate your environment so that you get that hardship. And then when the, the incidental hardship comes along, the one that just happens to you, um, you're probably a little bit better off for um, for that situation than you would be otherwise. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And uh, yeah, it'd be, be good, good to get your perspective on this too. You think about, you've thought about these things a lot as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think you're by the sounds of it, your 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 day to day life is filled with more hardship than mine. Um, a lot of mine is <laughs> sat down in this comfortable office chair in this kind of somewhat warm room and having conversations with awesome people like you, whereas you're actually getting out <laughs> into the into the elements as much as possible. Yeah, well, it's also it, but you're, you're then your comfort level shifts. So you can someone who's mm-hmm. you know who's working in an office. All, I'm not saying you know this is you or but someone could look mm-hmm. at 
at me just going for you know something I'm doing and think, oh my gosh, you're doing that every day. But then mm-hmm. my comfort level and fitness will dictate where my what how comfortable I am doing something. So I have to like then be like, okay, you know, am I still pushing myself all the time? Because you can whatever you're doing, your comfort level will expand to a new, you know, a new a new circle, and you got to then step outside that again. Um, exactly. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, personal I mean, and relative at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, these things are so context specific. Um, but I do think what helped me with injury. I do really enjoy training hard, and I'm like, I know, yeah, training is a big part of your life too. And I think, I mean, I've been like an athlete my whole life, and I've always enjoyed pushing myself physically in training. And when I had my ACL injury, it's, it's quite a lot of work to come back from it strong. But I already knew how to train, and I already knew how to train hard. So I'm like, right, well, this is going to be a lot of work. It's pretty shit not being able to do what you want to do and not being able to work. Not being able to work is hard as well because it's just kind of part of your identity and part of, you know, we all get our self-esteem from our work. But I Mm. would say like now I'm like, I'm so motivated to train hard and I know how to train hard and I know all the training principles and techniques. And if I didn't, if I was coming from a position of not having that background or or that ability to train hard, I think recovering from a serious injury is for sure harder. Yeah. Absolutely. You've put in different sets and reps of discomfort at the same time or previously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, just wanting to like, just, I think, I mean, having, well, it's trying hard at things and pushing yourself hard is like a muscle that needs to be worked. And mm-hmm. it's the same for, I always think about this climbing and skiing on a smaller level. Like when you're, especially climbing, um, you see a lot of very strong, good climbers, but the difference is sometimes between a good climber and a great climber is they just know how to try really, really, really hard at something, at a specific move. And I think like you have to, like trying hard at things is a bit of a muscle that you got to work and that can always be strengthened. Yeah. Like properly flexing that muscle. <laughs> it's, it's funny. You're talking then about like being a good climber and that's exactly my experience of climbing. Like a, the technique's somewhat there, but like the willingness to try really, really hard and like in like embrace that discomfort and just like, okay, I'm going to stick myself to this wall as hard as I possibly can yeah. and, like, and take the risk of like feeling like, okay, it feels like my toes are about to blow out on this, on this foothold, but I'm going to, I'm going to flex that muscle and try exactly. like it's, it's um it's yeah. like exposure therapy idea of like okay i'm gonna totally. progressively but voluntarily expose myself to those things that that um limit me or scare me intentionally and do that um consistently and that's what creates that capacity yeah yeah totally and it's it's not it's not easy it's always a challenge for for anybody i think like you just got to mm-hmm. be like right i'm going to just try as hard as i fucking can at this specific thing right now yeah absolutely did how do you deal with fear like because I'm, I'm sure there's fear that comes up in a variety of different parts in your in your life so like how do you how do you deal with that like what's your relationship with it like um i think it's recognizing um just trying to be aware of what sort of a rational thing to be afraid of and what's what's not like um in the mountains i mean you you, you learn from you learn to sometimes, you know, we get a feeling of say that, you know, you get an in, intuitive feeling that something isn't quite right in terms of you look at a slope and you're like, Oh, does the snow look a bit, a bit funky? Is it going to avalanche or, and you have to respect that intuition because sometimes like fear can be based on pattern recognition. And sometimes it's hard to, that's hard to quantify. But at the same time, we all have days where maybe you haven't, maybe, you know, it's, you haven't slept enough. Maybe it's just a shitty night's sleep. Maybe, you know, you, you're, you're worried about something else or, or, you know, stressed about, you know, you had an argument with your girlfriend or whatever. And it's like, then it's like, okay, well, it's trying to differentiate what is, what is um, causing me to feel uneasy about this? Is it because I'm actually in real danger or is it because of something else going on? Or is it because, so it, it's, it's really tricky sometimes to, to, it takes a lot of experience to understand Ooh, am I just having one of those days where I'm a bit nervous about everything or, or is this actually dangerous? And um, then when, you know, you have to really respect the times where you think might actually be dangerous or just push through when you're like, okay, every sign, every rational sign is telling me that I, this is safer. I can do this safely, but I'm just feeling a bit nervous today. Um, so it's, you know, and yeah, I mean, fear is so context specific as well. Like I've been, I was out rock climbing once on a sport climb that's 
that was completely safe because you know it was, it was bolted you can you might fall off but you're never going to hurt yourself and i was with um a couple of uh, wingsuiters who were really good wingsuiters and um the the, the guy i was belaying wasn't a very experienced climber but he was a really good wingsuiter and he started to really get scared and shit his pants about a meter and a half above a bolt and i was thinking god like you're, you you like do these crazy wingsuit descents and proximity flying and you're scared above a ball. I mean, it made no rational sense, but, but mm-hmm. fear is like so based on the context and how, how, like you're saying that systematic desensitization to what you're doing. Um, so yeah, but at the same time, I mean, if you're going out and every time you're, you're scared, you know, you're, every time you're doing something, you're scared of what you're doing, then something's a bit off balance and isn't quite right either. Yeah. I really like that differentiation because you're like, you're calling bullshit on yourself at the same time as being compassionate to yourself around like, and trusting the intuition part. There's this idea of like neuroception that your, your body is, um, your, your nervous system is picking up patterns of threat that you can't consciously be aware of. And like, that could be, um, the subtle things that like the patterns that your body has learned to recognize, but consciously you haven't yet, or it may have sensed the, the different, I don't know air temperature something like that and it's like oh last time this happened this uh yeah this thing happened um but you haven't For consciously sure. picked up on that so you like i like the fact you're like again doing that but calling bullshit on yourself at the same time totally yeah yeah it's, it's really interesting going through that process with yourself yeah definitely man it's um it feels like the mountains are the perfect vehicle to uh, to develop yourself in as well and it's like you need humans need a a difficult environment to thrive in yeah no I, I think so i think that's quite a natural thing to expose yourself to yeah so man um i could chat to you all day i genuinely could and i'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you again at some point this uh this season coming up where can people find out more about your guiding uh follow you on social media and like yeah get in touch with you if they want to experience some some like pushing to their extremes and pushing <laughs> their levels whilst being safe and in trusted hands at the same time yeah, no, thanks, Tom. It's been great to chat to you. I uh, really enjoyed it. So, my yeah, you can check out my website. is www.tomgrant.guide. And my Instagram handle is at Tom uh, underscore Grant. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, and so, yeah, anyone can get in touch with me through those ways. Yeah, no, it's been great to chat to you. Oh, absolutely, man. And, um, yeah, thank you for an awesome episode. And you're, um, I can't recommend everyone gets involved with you as um uh, yeah i can't recommend that highly enough oh thanks yeah i really appreciate it